but it's at uh, 1.30. Thank you. That's the kind of week it has been. Okay. Um, we're in the book of Job this morning, and this is what we're doing. Um, we're, we're in the Sunday where you know that we've been every other week in the morning service going through a series on spiritual formation. Given the events of this past week, it's always incumbent, I think, upon pastors to be sensitive to the especially significant events that goes on in the lives of, of a church and a community. And so I wanted to um, speak about uh, a passage that relates, I think, uh, very much so to the events of this past week from the book of Job, and then we're going to do our spiritual formation uh, sermon this afternoon. We're in Job 37, and I want to read just the first 13 verses. Job is the book that comes before um, that book that's found in the center of the Bible called the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. In Job, there's 42 chapters, and the whole of this lengthy book revolves around the question, why why in the lives of the righteous, why in the lives of God lovers do bad things sometimes happen? Why do we receive trials? Why do we receive suffering? We're going to be considering that um, uh, this morning. And that's a question that people have been asking throughout the centuries. Before we read together, um, I, want to, I want to read something to you that I wrote to myself uh, when I was writing the sermon this past week. And I wrote this. I wrote the sermon on Jan and Adria's property. And for those of you listening online uh, who, who may not know Jan and Adria, like many of us do, they're people that my wife and I have been staying with. Joy has been spared this as she's in the state of Colorado right now. Um, they're right in the Sumas Valley. So they're right in the thick of the, the catastrophic flooding. I wrote the sermon on Jan and Adria's property in the Sumas Valley after seeing overflowing dikes and flooded homes and a few people walking on roads looking like refugees. Um, they had to leave their flooded homes, and they were ferried by boats to higher land, and then they're just walking on the road. And Jan and I, Adria, were in a pickup, and we stopped by them and said, where are you going? They said, well, we hope to get to Chilliwack. Well, that's a long haul when you're walking. How are you going to get there? Well, we just hope that maybe some people along the line will just help us along. So we'll get in the truck. Let's go. I mean, that's the way it was. And I, I went on to write, um, I didn't know if Jan and Adria and I would have to be evacuated, and so I had to write this sermon in faith, trusting that what you hear is true, despite what would happen to us. Two hours later, Jan comes knocking on the guest house door. You've got to get out now. Evacuation order came in, a second one, saying this is a life-threatening situation. The dikes have broken, and I, this pump station somewhere uh, is, is not functioning, and you've got to get out. The floodwaters are rising very fast. And so off we went, and I didn't know. Uh, he says, um, are you going to, I said, I, I need five minutes. I got my laptop. I got important paperwork that Joy and I had to get into Canada. We didn't want to lose that. That would be a hassle. So... It took five minutes, he took five minutes, fueled up his truck, and he says, are you going to take your car? And I said, I, yeah, I'd like to take my car, because I just saw my car going under four feet of water. So I got in the car and drove, and, and they were in a pickup, and their four-wheel drive Subaru, and there I was in my Toyota. And off we went, and it started out okay for the first half a mile, and then the, wa the waters were rushing over the road like we were in the middle of a river. And it was going higher and higher and higher, until I think I was driving through about a foot and a half 
of rushing water, and I didn't know if I was going to go into the drink. And you don't want to go into the drink. You, you, it felt like it was a lake all around. And if you go into that, it was near freezing, and you don't want to go in. You're going to get hypothermia pretty quick, and I'm just praying, man. <laughs> Lord, <laughs> get us through. And eventually, he did. Probably about a half hour later, we probably been, we would have been washed away. So God, God's good. He's the God of the flood, as we're going to see. Okay, enough. Job 37, at this also my heart trembles. This is written by one of Job's friends, Elihu. At this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it go and his lightning to the corners of the earth. After it his voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Likewise, to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man that all men whom he made may know it. Then the beasts go into their lairs and remain in their dens. From its chamber comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn round and round by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. Whether for correction or for his land or for love. He causes it to happen. We're going to end our reading there. By the way, um, one thing I forgot to mention, the only reason why I'm here this morning is because I was able to take a boat <laughs> to get to uh, back in Jan and Adria's place, and then eventually a neighbor was able to bring me into town and thought, man, I want to be with the Pathway peeps this morning, and God made that possible. So, you know, this, this passage that we read in light of the events of this past week um, reminds me of a, another time that was very similar in the, wife of my, uh, in, my, in the life of myself, my wife, and my family. It happened almost 15 years ago in a church planning context in Springfield, Missouri. And um, it, the, what happened was not a devastation as a result of liquid water, but ice water. Uh, Springfield, Missouri is very near to Oklahoma. Whenever you think of Oklahoma, probably, you probably think of tornadoes and bad weather, and that's really true. So southwest Missouri is a lot like Oklahoma that way. And it's situated geographically at kind of a midway point between the warm Gulf Stream moisture of the Gulf of Mexico and then the cold air that would come from Canada. And they would oftentimes meet in Oklahoma and southern Missouri in that area of the country so that we would not, during the winter time, we would not get so cold that we would have blizzards, but it was not so warm that we just always get deluged with rain. But sometimes what we would get is just really bad ice. And we had this devastating ice storm, and a declaration of emergency was called. We were without electricity in our home for five days, I think, or a week, something like that. My wife and my family had to go next door to a neighbor because they had a fireplace where we could keep warm. And... Uh, it was just, it was a bad, bad situation. And, and Springfield, Missouri is filled with walnut and oak trees and dogwood trees, these hardwood trees, and they were coming crashing down. It was just, it was just a miserable situation. 
I could go on and on about that, but I just want to share this one thing. Um, after about uh, four or five days, it was Sunday like today, and so we thought we, we need to worship together as God's people in light of this devastation. We need to pray for ourselves and pray for our community, and I appreciate what Devin was doing there when he was praying for our community. It's just not about us. And so we went to church that morning, and um, at that time we were, um, it's going to sound weird, but we were worshiping in a nightclub. And we, we had taken over a nightclub. Uh, we had a realtor in our church, a lot like Brent, you know, and he was kind of a savvy realtor, and he found this property. It was two stories tall. It was called Club Intensity. <laughs> we took it over, and we set it up, and we cleaned it out, and that was a mess. And we cleaned it out, and we had chairs like, well, we were only about the size of this. We were kind of a small group. And we had batteries, and we put on lights, and there... It was, it was a dark, cavernous place with a couple of lights shining on us, no electricity, and we were all in coats. At least you're warm. We were all in coats. And I remember preaching on this passage, particularly where it says in um, verse 10, by the breath of God, ice is given. And I remember there's a woman in our congregation named Janie Cheney, just a beautiful woman and a very smart and gifted writer. And she wrote for a magazine called World Magazine. I don't know if you've heard of that, but... Um, and she was there in the congregation, and she wrote up the service that we had and the passage that I preached on, and that's what we did. We worshiped in that nightclub. That was one of the most precious services that we, we, we ever had. I think we'll remember this, too. Kids, I want you to remember this service, too. Um, this, is a, this is a special service, and you're going to remember this, the time when we had this devastating flood. So the central theme of our Bible reading this morning is the same today as it was 14 years ago, and that is this that the flooding of November 2021 was not a fluke. It didn't just happen, as we're going to see. No, the flooding of November 2021 was given and directed by God, and for a reason. You say, well, what is that reason? Well, we'll consider that. I want to look at our passage. Two things at the very outset. Make sure the passage is up there if you guys would. Um, I want you to notice, first of all, that the passage is about extreme weather events. You notice that? Verse 4, for instance, the Lord's voice roars, he thunders. Verse 4 talks about lightnings. Verse 5 says that there are great things that we cannot comprehend. Verse 6 talks about snow. And the second half of verse 6 also says that the Lord also is the one behind a downpour, his mighty downpour, as we saw. Verse 9 talks about a whirlwind. And then the scattering of winds. Verse 10, ice. The Lord, verse 11, loads the thick cloud with moisture. I mean, so, so all of this passage is, is exactly what we experienced this past week. It is, it's all about what we call extreme weather events and this what we call this atmospheric river that dumped what? Like over seven inches of rain within a 24 or 48-hour period and then about a, a day after that, being on the Sumas Prairie, it's always blowing there, it seems. And we were getting just devastating winds. It seemed like they were around 60 miles an hour. It was just going, going, going. And it's like, that was the extreme weather event. And this is what the passage is talking about. But the main thing here, when it, when it talks about lightnings and thunder and ice and, and mighty downpours, the interesting thing about the passage is that it is very clear over and over and over and over and over again that these things did not happen by chance 
and that these things were not some fluke from, as I've heard this past week, Mother Nature, but the Christian worldview, based upon the Bible, upon this passage, tells us that behind all of this, behind all these scenes, there's the mighty God whose hand is at work. I mean, his voice roars. He thunders. He does not restrain the lightnings. He's behind the snow. He's the one behind the whirlwind and the winds. Look at verse 10. By the breath of God, ice is given. Verse 11, especially for our sakes this morning. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. Verse 12, they turn around and round by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them. This was not a fluke. This was not a chance happening. This was not Mother Nature at work, never knowing what Mother Nature is going to do. What we see is really what this passage is all about, what the whole book of Job is about, is what we call the sovereignty of God. That there's not one inch of this creation and there's not one minute thing that happens in history without the hand of God at work. We, we have a... We have a, we have a a phrase in the Christian world today, and it's usually in the broader evangelical world where, and maybe you've heard this, and maybe, maybe sometimes you use this phrase where people look at what happened or they'll look at certain significance events, significant events, and maybe you've heard it's like, oh yeah, that was a God thing. You used to hear that all the time in the States. Yeah, that was a God thing. Never really liked that phrase. It's, it's, it's a God thing. Um, the, the, the word that that I like, that we should all like, is a word that a number of us grew up with, and it's actually rooted in Christian history. It goes back centuries, and it's the word providence. And so kids can listen to this, and they go, well, providence. What, what is providence? One of our confessional standards that we embrace as a church asks the question, what is the providence of God? And here's what it says, in short, a little summarized version. The providence of God is the almighty and ever-present power of God, whereby, as it were, because look at this, with his hand, he upholds and he governs all that he has created. So that leaf or blade, rain, drought, health, sickness, riches or poverty, nothing comes into our lives by chance. But all things come from the hand of God. Kids, if you remember anything this morning about this sermon, all you have to do is look up right now and look at my hand and think about the hand of God. And the hand of God orchestrates all things. I've said in the past to various churches, my, my father was a, a, a music professor and he was chair of the music department at uh, Dort University. And I have these memories when I was a kid of going to my dad's concerts and he would stand and, and there would be hundreds in the crowd and he would be directing this huge choir. And, and I, all I remember is hands. Dad, dad said, I said, Dad, why don't you ever use a baton? You know, like that. And he says, because the hands are more expressive. And my dad, you know. And, and he would teach students how to conduct and he'd teach form and analysis and stuff. And all I remember my dad's going like this. And then always, I, for some reason, I remember when he would come to the end of a piece, there was what we call a retard. Things begin to slow down. And then he'd go like this. And just be quiet. When you think of the hand of God, think of a grand conductor before a symphony or before a choir, and he's directing all things. 
according to his will. Isn't that what the whole book of Job is about? It's about, it's about this. It's about God directing affairs of one individual named, named Job. You know, um, uh, Job, Job, if you know the story of Job, Job was a man who suffered greatly. He, he lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost his children. He lost his flocks. He, he lost his servants. Just like many farmers throughout the valley. I mean, taking a boat to get here, you're on four feet or five feet of water. Everything is under. Beautiful homes, just inundated. Farms, dead, dead animals. I mean, and this, this is a picture of, this is a, this, Job is a microcosm of all of this. He's a minute, it's a picture in miniature of, of all of this. And so he lost everything, and the only thing that he was spared was his wife, and it probably would have been gracious if God took his wife, actually, because his wife would get in the face of her husband, Job, and say, just curse God and die. And the whole question regarding the, the whole matter with Job is this, why do the righteous suffer? Because Job, Job was not a, a spiritual dolt. He was not a guy who didn't know his left hand from his right hand spiritually. He was a godly man. The very first thing that we read in the book of Job is that he was a blameless man. He was a righteous man, which then sets you up for the question, well then, you know, why would a righteous man suffer? You know, those people don't believe in God. They're the ones who should suffer, right? But Job, no, he's a righteous man. And yet Job takes it on the chin, so to speak. And at the beginning of his suffering, he says, the Lord has given the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible says, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. He recognized the sovereignty of God. So, real quick, Job brings, uh, or God brings to Job certain friends. And these friends, at first, are quiet with Job. They don't say anything in his suffering. And then they start talking, and they probably should have just shut up because the advice that they give Job is usually pretty bad advice. If you know anything about the book of Job, the friends typically are saying to Job, you know what, the reason why this has happened to you is because you must have sinned against God. That's why you're taking it on the chin. And Job can't understand this. And it was bad advice. Elihu, who writes in Psalm 37, probably gets closest to the truth when he says, sometimes God brings difficulty into our lives as God's people to test us and then to teach us through the testing. Verses 10 through 13, by the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning they turn round and round by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. Then verse 13. Whether for correction, for his land, or for love, he, that is God, causes it to happen. Verse 13 is very instructive for us. I want to say a few, a few words and then I just want to draw it to a close. First of all, sometimes you say, why, why does God bring such devastation if he says he loves us and if we love him. It, it just it doesn't make sense. And what the passage says is 
First of all, sometimes the Lord does it to, some translations have it punish us. Um, in this translation, it says, for the sake of correction. Now, sometimes what you have is you have, and there, I'm sure there are people in the Sumas Valley this way, where they're not walking with Christ. They're not Christians, they don't belong to any church, and they're, they're, the Bible says they're without God and without hope in the world, right? And sometimes God brings this devastation into their lives um, to, to show them what it's like to actually live without God, sometimes to punish them, yes, but most often to provide them an opportunity to wake up and to recognize him and his hand and flee to him. He says, come, come. You know, the, the, the judgment of Sumas Valley, that's nothing compared to Noah's flood. And it's nothing compared to the worldwide conflagration of fire that will come at the return of Jesus Christ. And sometimes what God does is he, he brings us these, these, I mean, they call this a catastrophe, but this is not a worldwide catastrophe. And sometimes God puts us into these situations to wake us up to the idea that one day, if you think this is bad, something greater is coming. Flee to Christ. Flee to him. But sometimes in the life of individuals like Job, where we recognize that we're not perfect, but we're here this morning, we want, let's say we're, we're here and we, we want to serve God. Sometimes the Lord brings these things into our lives, not to punish us. The punishment has been taken upon Christ, but he does this to test us and to discipline us so that we learn what it means to trust in God through all of this. I take away your farm. I take away your flocks. I take... I maybe even take away some, some of the lives of those who are near and dear to you. That's exactly what Job faced, exactly. And when Job faced this, you know what? The Lord never did ultimately explain to Job, listen, this is why I have done this. Even when, when, when within, I cannot explain it all, but within the overall plan of God, when my brother was taken away at 27 years old, who was full of talent and wanted to serve the Lord, when, when, when in the overall providential will of God, that life was, was taken. It was a time of great testing for the family. But my parents were Christians, and I saw how my dad handled this, and I saw how my mom handled this. And I remember within a month of him dying, dad, who always had this perfect complexion, had this big lesion on his forehead. It was just because of stress. And for the rest of his life, my dad always smelled like Hall's menthol drops because he was always chewing on those things, always sucking on those things to give him moisture in his mouth because of the stress of the loss of his son. And I saw what it did to my mother, and I saw what it did to their marriage. It was, it was always a good marriage, but they say that when children die, parents and marriages just suffer greatly, and divorce is not unusual when parents are grieving over a son or a daughter who has died. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But, but I saw that, that in the midst of these bad things, God was testing them like Job. And like Job, they said, Lord, you, you accomplish all things. We don't understand it, but, but we trust in you when we believe that we know that you know what is best. And I saw a great blessing come upon, just like Job. All Job, oh, just read the last chapter sometime, Job 42, and just see what the Lord did for Job after all this difficulty. Okay. 
So, so sometimes God punishes people. Sometimes he tests them and he disciplines them ultimately to draw them to himself. And then finally this, sometimes when God brings rain and snow, there's a, there's a double-edged sword to that. Sometimes the rain and snow comes to replenish the ground because we need rain and we, we need snow, don't we? So think about it this past summer. We heard, when we were in Phoenix, we heard about what happened this summer for a few days where you getting Phoenix weather. What was like 100 and, well, I'm dealing with Fahrenheit again, but sorry. 100, 105 or 110, whatever it is. It was ridiculous. And, and people are saying, yeah, for two or three months, we didn't see rain and all these beautiful lawns are drying up. And you're like, remember that? You're thinking, oh, rain, boy, it'd be nice to have some rain, right? Because it replenishes the world. Now, it's like, that's the last thing we're hoping for right? Oh, Lord, give us rain, right? So rain's a double-edged sword. It can replenish the ground, but it can also cause great devastation. And yet, that too, even in the midst of devastation in the lives of God's people, there's love. For love, he causes it to happen. Because when God brings us into devastation, what he does is he uses that occasion for us not only to feel his love, but to see his love demonstrated in our lives. I mean, think about this past week. I was on Jan and Adria's farm. Water all around, but God spared it. I think, John Renee, you, you didn't get flooded, did you? No. You should have. <laughs> but, but you did it, you know? And uh, the Vinlars, too. I mean, it's like God spared. It's like, as a congregation, the Lord's been really good. And our hearts go out for those who... who did not experience that. And if some of you were devastated, I don't know about it. I'm, I'm sorry that I don't know about it. But I think on the whole, God has been very good. Brothers and sisters, that's love. That's just love. God gives that, that love to us in Christ. And through all of this, he draws us together and he draws us to himself. So, brothers and sisters, we are not forsaken. We are not frostbitten. We are not famished. We're not without food. As far as I know, when we eat together this afternoon, there's more than enough food, I trust, to, to go around. Therefore, may we say like Job, though he slay me, and some are slayed worse than others, but though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Because after all, the God who slays me is also the God who loves me and promises to provide for my every need in his time and in his way. And this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, these times are hard, but also these times are precious. Lord, you have formed this congregation by your grace, in your timing, and for our blessing, and above all, your blessing. And we thank you for that. Lord, may we never forget this day, how we gathered on the Lord's Day for worship. Or for those who are not able to make it here with us, who are worshiping, uh, worshiping online, that, Lord, we pray that, that we who are online may not forget this day either. And that you will use this day as a day of sweet fellowship. Bless the meal that we are going to uh, eat Father, I offer a prayer for that already now. Lord, bless that food to us, and may we, may we rejoice in it, knowing that you could leave us at this time without food or without water, like many are experiencing in the Sumas Parade, but you've given it to us, and we thank you for it. So God, we just give you all the praise this morning, and we pray that all of us here may feel your love in a special way this day, we pray. In Jesus' name.
And let all of us say together, 